This is Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, two of the top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, one from California and one from Massachusetts, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. Uh, we're glad you could listen today to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams from sunny Southern California. And this is Bob Ambrogi from Massachusetts. I write a blog called Law Sites and another blog called Media Law and also uh, co-write the Legal Blog Watch on law.com. And I write a blog called May It Please the Court. Last week, Bob Merck and Company decided to settle tens of thousands of claims for some $4.85 billion, with a B from patients who took the powerful painkiller Vioxx. Merck stressed that the agreement was not a class action settlement and that it was not admitting fault. Well, this seemed like a dramatic change in uh, Merck's uh, originally announced strategy of fighting every claim, and uh, Merck had won 12 of the 17 trials to date that uh, had gone to trial but had yet to pay out anything while it was appealing uh, uh, other cases. Some feel that Merck's uh, strategy to play hardball in the beginning might have ended up working in their favor, and some even viewed the settlement as somewhat of a victory for Merck. The logistics behind the settlement are fairly self-explanatory. Plaintiffs were dissatisfied, uh, who are dissatisfied with their offer can still go to trial, but more than 85% of eligible claimants must decide to participate for the settlement in order to take effect. Well, today we're going to discuss this uh, settlement, Merck's strategy, uh, and uh, reaction to settlement, uh, and the future of the Merck and the drug industry. Well, I'd like to welcome back our first guest, attorney Tom Girardi from the law firm of Girardi Keys. Tom's been on our show before, and he is widely regarded as one of the nation's top trial lawyers. Tom's obtained numerous multi-million dollar verdicts and settlements for plaintiffs, handling claims involving wrongful death, commercial litigation, products liability, bad faith insurance, and toxic torts. In 2003, he received the most prestigious honor of being inducted into the Trial Lawyer Hall of Fame by the California State Bar. Mr. Girardi is a member of the Board of Directors and former president of the prestigious International Academy of Trial Lawyers, an invitation-only worldwide organization limited to only 500 trial lawyers. Mr. Girardi is also the first trial lawyer to be appointed to the California Judicial Council, the policymaking body of the state courts. Attorney Girardi represents more than 800 Vioxx cases and has been a leader in the Vioxx settlement process. Welcome to the show, Tom. Hey, thank you very much. Hi, everybody. Uh, it's very nice to be here. Nice to hear you guys again, and uh, it's uh, hopefully we can shed a little light on uh, the uh, settlement, which is uh, certainly a very important one. And uh, our next guest today is Attorney Lee O'Dell from the law firm Beasley Allen. Uh, Lee first joined her firm in 1994, left in 1998 to take a position with focus on the family, and then returned in May 2005 to work in the firm's mass torts section, which uh, represents people in claims against companies that manufacture and or market defective pharmaceuticals or medical devices. Uh, She is presently a member of the Vioxx litigation team, alongside Beasley Allen lawyers Andy Birchfield, Benjamin Locklar, and W. Roger Smith III. Uh, she was uh, a member of the litigation team for five of the 17 Vioxx trials. And uh, uh, Beasley Allen Partners overall participated in trying more Vioxx cases than any other firm in the country. Um, they played uh, an integra- integral role, uh, as did, of course, Tom Girardi, in the development of the, the settlement uh, with Merck. 
um, and uh, in agreeing, getting Merck to agree to settle these cases. So welcome to the show, uh, Lee O'Dell. Well, very good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, let's start. Uh, Tom, I mean, Tom, you were uh, one of the lawyers who helped negotiate this agreement, and uh, I wonder if you can kind of just give us the overview of, of what this is about. Yes. Um, several, um, several months ago, 11 months ago, uh, Judge Fallon of the United States District Court there in New Orleans, where uh, the majority of these cases were assigned, uh, reached out and uh, got six lawyers that he wanted on the plaintiff side, that he wanted to commence negotiations with Merck on a confidential basis. Uh, Lee's partner was one of those from the Beasley firm. Uh, Russ Herman, who you've spoken to, I think, was one of the lawyers from uh, New Orleans who was involved. And the idea would be that under the cloud of secrecy, the lawyers could meet. Uh, Judge uh, Fallon also wanted lawyers from Merck who were not really in the litigation itself, but rather were more on the corporate side. And indeed, the conversations began some 11 months ago. I know of being from Los Angeles, since all the action really took place in New Orleans and Washington for the most part, I crisscrossed the country about 28 times. And the reason, I suppose, for the secrecy is Merck didn't want to let the word out that they were thinking about resolution or anything of that nature, and we respected it, and we thought that perhaps we could get a, a better arrangement for the plaintiffs in the cases uh, by doing exactly that. So with respect to just a very few leaks at the end, uh, the matter was conducted with uh, total secrecy and covering very, very uh, interesting and novel issues to any settlement. But I'll I'll just end it right there for now. Lee, why don't you tell us what the settlement does mean for the average plaintiff? Well, if you are a claimant who has a filed case in, in any of the federal court or any of the consolidated um, uh, consolidated actions in New Jersey, California, uh, Texas, or any other tribunal in the country, you have a filed case or told case in the federal proceedings then you are an eligible claimant for the lawsuit. I should qualify that by saying if, if you are a um, filed or told case that's a heart attack, a sudden cardiac death, or a stroke, um, then you will be eligible to participate um, and to put your claim into the settlement program. From there, there will be a process whereby um, claims will be put through a uh, an analysis or a Gates process to determine if the claim has uh, a qualified injury, in other words, a heart attack, stroke, or sudden cardiac death, while the claimant was taking Vioxx, or within 14 days of taking Vioxx, that injury occurred. So if you are um, a filed or told case, have one of those uh, outlined injuries, and you are able to prove injury plus usage, then you will come through the program and your claim will be compensated. What's the flip side of that? Who is not covered? Uh, what what's, Are there potential claimants? I understand class actions are not covered. Uh, who else might not be covered by this class, agreement? Class actions are not covered. If you have a claim and it involves uh, renal failure, for example, or pulmonary embolism or another type injury besides heart attack or stroke, then you're not involved in the program 
um, if your claim was not filed or told, then that claim is not eligible for the program either. Merck was trying to uh, really solve only the heart attack and a particular type of stroke case, at, at least at this venture. So in looking at all the cases that are filed, there is a very, very large number, a very large percentage that would not be affected by this settlement. On the other hand, those people continue to have their right to go to trial and have a trial by jury because at least with respect to this settlement, uh, they're, they're not permitted to resolve their case out of the $4.85 billion. And the idea was, I think, Merck looked at stroke and heart attack as being their most serious problem. And indeed, uh, I think that's the way the evidence is as well. So this, this settlement is not going to get rid of all the cases out there at all. Matter of fact, it only applies to even heart attack and stroke cases under very strict parameters that the person, as Lee just said, must have been on Biox for at least 30 days and the heart attack and stroke must have happened within 14 days after getting off of Vioxx or while one was still on it. So by the time you go through this massive effort now that will have to take place to see who's in and who's out, it's going to be very challenging. Now, we, we should mention that we uh, reached out to several defense lawyers, uh, both uh, who were directly involved in this case and, and uh, uh, even uh, to the Defense Research Institute and some other organizations, so that uh, we would not have just plaintiff's lawyers on this program, but uh, uh, we were not able to uh, find somebody who would be willing to appear today. Uh, so in the, sa- <laughs> in the interest of fairness, I wanted to point that out. Um, and I wonder if you could talk about it. I mean, this seemed like a, this struck me when I first heard the news as a, a pretty dramatic uh, about face for Merck, uh, given its stated posture of fighting these cases to the death. Uh, what happened there? In a certain, you know, I don't think any of us ever believed their stated policy. Uh, their stated policy would be insanity. Uh, it would cost more money to defend every single one of these cases even if you won them all, than if you entered into a reasonable settlement for the people. You keep your bad product that was, you know, was taken off the market because it uh, was so dangerous for folks uh, right there in the public eye, and you have no chance really to tell Wall Street that you've cured the problem. Sometimes the best thing that happens in cases like this is Wall Street looking over a company's shoulder. In this case, they, they saw that Merck had spent $1,900,000,000 in legal fees had not solved one particular case, and the judiciary was getting somewhat upset about the slowness uh, that the cases were being handled and was about to set cases, a number of cases, all at the same time. So I don't think Merck ever really believed uh, we're going to try every case, and Indeed, while we were negotiating for the 11 months, and I think Merck was in good faith in those negotiations, uh, they had some very nice people you know, involved in it, very smart people involved in it. And as we continued to hear they were going to try every case, we had to smile just a little bit because we knew what they were doing with us. 
Lee, do you, how does this work out in terms of uh, a financial settlement? Is there any type of average or typical type of claim and out of the $4.85 billion? How much can a single plaintiff expect to receive? Well, I don't think that you could, um, and Tom, you, I know you'll have um, thoughts about this as well, but I don't think you could predict an average value at this point of a claim. Um, that the system is, is, we will both agree, is, is very fair, and the compensation is um, more than reasonable, and the process that's been established has been um, uh, designed in such a way that a claimant would be able to have their claim processed very efficiently. And um, for even the, the clients who've had uh, trials to date and have been victorious in those trials and, and even had juries award um, quite large verdicts, they've not yet received $1 of compensation for their injury. And so, you know, the system that it has been put in place will uh, ensure that clients, um, you know, with... Uh, you know, qualifying injuries will receive, you know, more than reasonable compensation, um, you know, fairly quickly. And, and we're hoping within 12 to 18 months for heart attacks. You know, the, these cases are, are fairly complicated because the injuries are also very different. Let's suppose that uh, you're a window manufacturer and you have bad windows, and you can settle those cases if a window costs $10 and a guy has four windows, he gets 40 bucks. In these types of cases, you have massive differences in the injuries that the people sustained. So there is a grid that is formulated. Obviously, a heart attack and for to a very young person that is disabling or causes death is much worse in the eyes of the law than a heart attack that causes no significant injury of a person who's 85 years old. So it was the attempt in... I don't know if this has ever really been achieved before, but it was the attempt by the parties to form a grid. Across the top of the grid would be ages, starting at 35, then to 40, all the way to 85. On the left-hand side, there would be the degree of injury, starting with death all the way down to six five categories. And the final category basically had a very little residual damage due to the heart attack or stroke. So it is in that grid that the people would fall. Now, to make matters even more complicated, it is believed that if somebody is on Vioxx for more than 30 days, there's a greater chance that the heart attack was Vioxx-caused. So there's a provision that the person would get additional points if he was on or she was on the medication for longer than 30 days. Similarly, in trying to be fair to all the claimants, certain people will have a, a medical history of a medical problem that could also cause heart attack. For example, some folks may have had a heart attack before. We know once you've had one, you're more prone to the second one. Maybe a person has had a long history of smoking. We know that that is a substantial factor with respect to heart attack. We know high cholesterol can be a problem as well. So these various other factors impact the zone in which you yourself would receive the funds. It was an attempt to take something very complicated and try to bring some fairness to the project to make sure that the 85-year-old person was treated fairly and the 35-year-old person was treated fairly as well. 
And we, we should also point out that there is a website devoted to this called the officialviocsettlement.com. And on that website is a calculator, which, as I understand it, can help uh, claimants at least come up with a, 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 a ballpark, perhaps, of, of where they might fall in this settlement. Is that, is that correct? That, that is correct. And it would you know, take uh, a person through each of the factors that are considered in the settlement process and uh, the settlement program. And you know, depending on their responses to those questions, you would come up with a, point val- a total point value. And that um, really would be the basis later on for um, the amount of compensation that person uh, would receive. And um, the, the, the website as well has other help. This for lawyers that are listening, it has um, help that will, you know, direct them as they're trying to register their clients, and uh, it also has the settlement documents um, posted so that they can take a look as well. We have a clip from uh, attorney Russ Herman with his reaction to the Vioxx settlement. Uh, today uh, is a great day uh, for uh, the court system in New Orleans and in California, Texas, and New Jersey, the potential to resolve 30 to 40,000 cases of heart attack and stroke uh, alleged to cause by Vioxx have been resolved after 11 months of secret negotiations. Uh, Let me summarize for you. Number one, Justice requires that people go through the system quickly and inexpensively. Secondly, that both sides in litigation become reasonable. And lastly, that we begin to find ways to have jury trials that result in settlements because judges work hard and push the lawyers to resolve differences. And... uh, this is a great day. I'm, I'm just happy for all the thousands of people out there who deserve uh, to balance the books. And those people that don't deserve it, they won't be able to get through the system. And that's the way it ought to work. Tom, what do you think about that? Well, um, you know, I, I think it's pretty good. You know, the interesting thing about this case is that the parties got enormously lucky because of the judges that were selected to hear the case. The majority of the cases were either in New Jersey, Merck's hometown, California, because there was a way in which you could keep cases in state court in California, and in uh, New Orleans in front of Judge Fallon. Judge Fallon was well known to be a, a trial lawyer, a very fine lawyer, a very fair judge, and a person who spent an a massive amount of time on these cases trying to get the parties together, more importantly, trying to give them fair trials so that an evaluation could be made of how good or how bad these cases are. In California, we ended up with one of the finest judges in the bench, Judge Victoria Cheney. And in New Jersey, the lawyers there ended up with one of the finest lawyers in the bench and Judge Higby. So when you had all of this going on, all of the cases being tried basically by those three judges, the fairness that was involved, and quite honestly, the fact that plaintiffs would win and plaintiffs would lose those cases. As you pointed out at the top of the show, the plaintiffs were unsuccessful more frequently than successful. 
this then gave a, an ability to be able to try to work out a fair and reasonable settlement of the case. Probably, if the plaintiffs had won every case, it would be very difficult uh, to resolve the cases. Clearly, if Merck had won every single case, they wouldn't be interested in paying $5 billion to settle them. So the justice system here worked enormously. And even though there was relatively a small number of cases that were tried compared to the number of cases out there, that gave a good sort of a watchdog approach to what can happen to the litigation. So by having those judges in play and by having superb lawyers on both sides trying those cases, we learned an awful lot to be able to recommend to both sides. Merck said, listen, we should, we should pay this money, and plaintiff lawyers uh, such as uh, uh, the Beasley firm and other firms across the country would say this is fair and equitable. We are going to take a short break. We will be back with our guests after this word. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Lawyer to Lawyer is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. If you have a comment or question, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781-634-8959. We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show. Did you know that Legal Talk Network shows are also available as CLE? Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's clecenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit for your continuing legal education. Check out our Lawyer to Lawyer host blogs, J. Craig Williams' blog at mayofpleasethecourt.com, likewise Robert Ambrogi's blog at legalline.com for daily legal observations, perspective, and, of course, a healthy dose of humor and wit. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years' experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams. And this is Bob Ambrogi. We'd like to welcome back our guests, Tom Girardi, 
from Girardi Keese and Lee O'Dell from Beasley Allen, both uh, members of the Vioxx litigation team. And uh, Lee, I wanted to ask you, my understanding, of course, is that this, this agreement is contingent on a certain level of participation by potential claimants uh, or by, I guess, current claimants. Uh, is that, uh, what, what kind of a contingency is that? Is there a chance that's not going to happen? Well, there is a contingency. 85% of those that qualify under the program, which would be heart attack, strokes, or, or sudden cardiac death, would need to uh, enroll or agree to participate in the settlement program. And, um, and we feel like that, um, that that will not be a problem. That deadline is March um, the 1st, I believe, and to have clients enroll. And because the, the settlement program is fair and um, really treats each uh, claimant, no matter their circumstance, the degree of injury or the length of usage, or maybe even, as Tom mentioned earlier, the risk factors that they may have already had in their, their life besides Vioxx, that the program would, would um, treat them equitably. Because of that, we feel that, um, that, that clients will be, um, you know, not only willing to to enroll, but to do so quickly. You know, I think you could, uh, what we said about the judges a little while ago also applies to the lawyers handling these cases. I personally know across the country a great number of the lawyers who are involved in the Vioxx litigation. They're some of the finest lawyers in the country. And having people of that ability and that knowledge uh, to be able to look at this set of facts and this, and this settlement is uh, very helpful. You know, if a lawyer didn't really know the pitfalls of these cases, if a lawyer thought that this was, his clients were getting far less than they would get and didn't realize any of the hazards, that would be a difficult crowd to deal with. But the fact of the matter is, dealing with the type of lawyers that have these cases, uh, there will be, in my view, absolutely no problem of getting the 85%. The the drug itself, the, the reason that makes these cases so very complicated is that the drug really was made for those people who had an arthritic condition, which generally speaking are older people, people in their 55, 60, 65 area. The problem with people of that age, they also carry with them uh, maybe a smoking history, a high cholesterol, high blood pressure, those sorts of things which also can cause heart attack as well. And in almost all of the cases, I think the jurors felt without a doubt that Vioxx was a, was a bad pill. However, when it got down to did the Vioxx cause this heart attack when you're confronted maybe with someone who's massively obese, et cetera, that's where the jurors had their problem. So as we lawyers who are trying to be responsible and do the right thing here for folks, uh, realize the very the difficulties involved in the causation element. You know, that gives you some pause. So if you're properly representing somebody, you say, boy, I better take a real look at this to make sure I'm doing the right thing uh, in turning down this sort of a resolution. And it's been, you know, that, that Tom was heavily involved in this as the negotiating team was, was um you know, working through the system and, and how clients would be treated under the program, um, you know, with a um, just a steadfast commitment to ensure that it would be 
you know, a fair process for each client so that they could, a lawyer could, in looking at the litigation climate as it is, the, the trial records um, as they've, they've turned out to be, um, could, you know, in good faith and with great confidence recommend this to every one of their clients. Of course, it was just about three years ago that, that Merck took this product off the market. Uh, and so I think in a lot of jurisdictions, the statute of limitations would run on uh, new on claims being filed at this point, uh, if, as I understand it. But what, what I've read uh, some speculation that there could be a whole new class of claims against Merck uh, arising from uh, from uh, strokes or heart conditions that that uh, you know appeared more slowly as a result of taking Vioxx. Is, is that the case? I mean, is there a future form of litigation? Is Merck still exposed to more litigation in this area? You know, I, I suppose. You know that's a that's a good question, and I suppose there's always a possibility of exposure. If you look at some of these other drugs, such as Fenfen, which did damage to the heart, there were many cases that came about later on after the announced settlement for Fenfen. However, there's an important difference. In those cases, people really wouldn't know if they had heart symptoms or not. If you have a heart attack, you know it. So most of the people who were on this drug who had a heart attack knew that they had a heart attack, and the publicity surrounding Vioxx was such that people knew to probably go see somebody if, in fact, that occurred. Well, now that the Vioxx litigation is in the process of wrapping up, what's your prediction on how long that process is going to take and what's looming on the horizon for the next big uh, mass tort-style case? Another great, uh, great question. I mean, I think there's great hope um, that the, you know, the uh, heart attack and sudden cardiac death claims will be, um, you know, efficiently processed and, and claimants paid within 18 months, and and maybe strokes will take a little bit longer than that. And in terms of what's on the horizon, I'll defer that to Tom. What do you think, Tom? Well, uh, fortunately, uh, drug companies aren't too good at testing these things thoroughly and immediately reacting if something is going awry as far as the mass tort market is concerned. And I'm joking to a certain extent. I think that cases like Vioxx send a pretty good message to boards of directors. And even though if Merck says this was a good deal for them or whatever, the fact of the matter is it's going to cost $7 billion, plus there's still some cases out there as well, which will also have a certain value. And this is not good corporate policy. I think that Merck's message to the pharmaceutical community would be, you know what, let's be much more diligent on our drugs. Let's make sure we know about the side effects. Let's make sure we properly warn, and life would be a lot better. So I think that the overall effect of this settlement on boards of directors of pharmaceutical companies is going to be massively positive. Do you think that Avandia and uh, it's possibly one of those drugs that might hit the same level of problems as Vioxx? And uh, what what role does the FDA play in uh, supervising all of these and approving these drugs before they get on the market? The FDA um, is less than superb, to say the least. The problem is they have few couple thousand people approving drugs 
and I think they have 88, excuse me, looking at the side effects of drugs. So um, it's not much of a watchdog. We've reached the point in time in our program where we probably need to wrap it up. And uh, so, Lee, let's turn to you and ask for your final thoughts about today's subject and then get your contact information. Sure. Well, first, we'd just say that um, this is a very a great day for those who were injured um, by Vioxx, for those that lost loved ones and for those who suffered a heart attack or stroke. And, and uh, we're very excited about um, the settlement and believe it's a very good result um, you know, for those who will be compensated. And so for anybody that has questions, um, direct them first to www.officialvioxsettlement.com or they're free to email me at uh, Lee, L-E-I-G-H dot O'Dell, O-D-E-L-L at BeasleyAllen.com. And Tom? You know what? I think it's a, um, it's a terrific day for lawyers. I think the lawyers on the plaintiff's side took a very complicated case and achieved a very good result for their people. I think the lawyers on Merck's side took a very complicated matter and got a resolution for Merck that uh, everybody can live with. So from that standpoint, from the legal standpoint of having the terrific judges that we had, the massive amount of effort those judges put in, the massive amount of effort the lawyers put in, to come up with a situation where the people are going to be treated fairly is a great day. I mean, that's all there is to it. And although these cases are complicated, to have them now resolved, the people can get on with their lives is massively important. So uh, it's, a, it's a nice success story. Well, congratulations to both of you for your work on this case, uh, or in these cases, and uh, thank you very much for taking the time to be with us on our program today. We really appreciate your thoughts and, and your time. Hey, thank you very much. Thanks Good so talking much. to you, too, Lee. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Bye. Well, Bob, as always, it's a pleasure, and we will talk to you again next week after Thanksgiving. We will do that. See you then. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with Robert Ambrogi and Jake Craig Williams. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.